we are a child of God. Sometimes we forget, and what stirred us a year ago doesn't stir us anymore. What stirred us 20 years ago to make some commitment, some pledge, some altar experience with God somewhere in our past, suddenly, well, that's old news. I've moved on. That was an emotional experience. Samuel Chadwick said, Brethren, the crying sin of the church is her laziness after God. We forget what it means to be a child of the king. We start acting like we're a child of something else or someone else. And we forget what it's like to walk in power and to walk in renewal and to walk in a fresh step with God and a new dimension of our faith. A few weeks ago, Mark Bearden was in town who has preached for us a number of times. And I asked him to come over and just share with our staff on a Monday morning staff meeting. And Mark spent about an hour with us. And quite honestly, what he did was like an arrow in my heart. It was a reminder and it was a warning. It was a reminder for me and it was a reminder for our staff and I believe it was a reminder for this church. It was a warning for me. It was a warning for this staff and I believe it was a warning for the church. He, he talked about Mark chapter 9 where the three disciples were on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration and they came down after that wonderful experience with God. And Peter, James, and John had been there with him. And they met the other disciples. And they ran into a man who had a demon-possessed son. And those disciples could not cast out that demon. And Jesus had a conversation with the Father. And the Father said, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can if you can. See, some of us believe that God can do some things, but not all things. And so we even approach our praying, not with boldness, but God, if you can, and I'm not sure you can, but I feel obligated to say it anyway. If you can, all things are possible, Jesus said to him who believes. And the man said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That may be the testimony of many of us. We believe, but the Lord needs to help our unbelief. We pray doubting. We don't pray believing. And Mark Bearden gave us three warnings that I want to give you uh, that have application to us as a church as we approach this week of prayer for refresh and the conference that starts next week. First of all, past success has its own dangers. Past success has its own dangers. In Mark chapter 6, remember this is in Mark 9, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus had sent the disciples out with the power and the authority to cast out demons, and the disciples were confused because not long ago they'd been out casting out demons. Now they got one boy, just one kid, 
And they can't cast out this demon. And they're confused because why weren't they able to cast out this demon? It worked before. Why doesn't it work now? Here, here's what success can do. It has the danger of presuming that you know what to do without praying about what you're supposed to do. The sin of presumption. Presuming that, well, God did it this way one time, and that's what we do. We get in a rut, and then we get in a deeper rut, and we think God did it that way, and so he's always got to do it that way. Listen, God only parted the Red Sea one time. He parted the Jordan one time for the children of Israel. There are things that God does one time so that we don't worship the one time. But we worship the living God who did it that one time. You see, these disciples were confounded because what God had given them the strength to do, they didn't have the strength to do. So our past success has its own dangers. Secondly, God may give you the same task, but require more faith. God may give you the same task, but require more faith. They had done this before, and, and here's the deal. We've been doing refresh. I don't know how long we've been doing it. We've Counting all the ones around the country, we're pushing 40 times. We've probably done it 15 to 20 times here. And the danger is, as a church, and the danger is for the man that is standing here preaching today that we just plug and play and turn the switch on and say, God, we know what to do. It's a week of refresh. We always do the week of refresh. We always have a week of prayer. We always have guest speakers in. We always have this happen. The choir always sings. And God say, so you think you got me figured out? So you think you can just come in, turn the switch on, and I'm automatically going to show up. That's not the way he works. You see, God may give you the same task. They had the task of dealing with this demon-possessed boy, but they were going to have to have more faith. Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer. In one of the other Gospels, it says this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. In other words, we may be required to do more this year than we've ever been required to do. If we want to see God move, we can't show up and say, I, I remember in 2014, that was a good year. I like that year. I like the guys that are preaching that year. In fact, I've got some notes in my Bible. And we check out on God because we think we know what God's going to do. And God may say, if you want me to move, you're going to have to have more faith. Thirdly, prayer is the proof that we operate by faith. Prayer is the proof that we operate by faith. You of little faith, Jesus said. It's a reminder that we are to depend on him. Not on our abilities, not on our thoughts, not on our methods, but we depend on him. In Luke 10, Jesus sent out the 70 to go and to minister and to share the gospel. And when they came back in Luke 10, verse 17, they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, do not rejoice in this, that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. You see, we rejoice when we think we've got power. And we forget to rejoice that I'm no longer a slave 
to sin. I am a child of God. Some of us listened to that song this morning and said, yeah, that's me, I'm a child of God. Well, act like it for the love of God. Act like you're a child of God. Quit acting like you're a child of your flesh and of the devil. I'm no longer a slave to sin. As long as I'm in church, as soon as I get out of church, I become a slave to it again. That's not what that means. When it says, I am a child of God, God expects his children to act a certain way. I mean, my mom and dad expected me to act a certain way. And when I didn't act a certain way, there were consequences. Typically, it was the Board of Education. Let's look at the need for revival. Revival is a restoration of something to its true nature and purpose. Stephen Alford, who wrote a great book on revival, said, Revival is the sovereign act of God in which he restores his own backsliding people to repentance, faith, and obedience. What, what I see among the general population of evangelicals today is that we are good at griping and bad at groaning. We are good at whining about what's going on in the world, but we don't weep about what's going on in the world. Walt Kaiser, who Terry and I got to meet uh, a year ago and just a remarkable teacher of the Word of God, said when worldliness so captures our hearts that we are as entrapped by our insatiable desires for leisure time, extended vacations, and every kind of entertainment as the ancient Israelites were by the idolatry of the Canaanites, we need Revival. Now I want you to look at that quote again. When worldliness so captures our hearts, he's talking about Christians, that we are entrapped. Some of you, this is about to hit you where you're sitting. By our insatiable desires for leisure time, for extended vacations, and every kind of entertainment as the ancient Israelites were by the idolatry of the Canaanites, we need revival. What he's saying is, is when what is predominant in our mind is leisure time, extended vacations, and every kind of entertainment, we've got idols in our hearts. We are idol worshipers. We're not God worshipers. Because what all three of those imply is, I'm the king of my own life. I rule my life. I don't have to answer to God for anything. I do what I want to do, go where I want to go, say what I want to say, miss when I want to miss, and I'm accountable to nobody. Kaiser said that's idolatry. Now, you know 2 Chronicles 7.14. This is not a, a uh, promise for us, but it is an application for us. And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Let's look at the characteristics of revival. And we're going to go through this quickly. These are always the characteristics of revival. Number one, it is preceded by a time of spiritual apathy. 
whether it's a golden calf, false idols, false altars, uh, a waning commitment to the Lord and to his church, it's preceded by a time of spiritual apathy. It always begins with one or a few. It always begins with one or a few, whether it's Hezekiah or Elijah or Zechariah or in the Welsh Revival, Evan Roberts or in the First Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards. And when in revival and the, and the Jesus movement hit my home church, the first prayer meeting we had, there were six people, two adults and four students. That's all we had. It grew to over 300, but it began with a few. Thirdly, there's a new love for the Word of God. There's a new love for the Word of God. We don't take what God says lightly. Fourthly, there's a destruction of every idol. Anything that blocks and hinders or dilutes or interferes or, or grieves the Holy Spirit. There's a destruction of every idol. Number five, there's a deep awareness of sin. Not just remorse of sin, but repentance of sin. There's a new level of commitment and celebration in worship. Worship comes alive in a time of revival and awakening. There's a new burden for the lost. We care about our lost friends and neighbors and family members and work associates. And there will be visible evidence of God's blessings on the land. This week I shot a video for uh, Sherwood Christian Academy talking about Refresh. And I brought some of the books that are written about the Jesus movement down and the cover of Time magazine and, and of Life magazine that had a picture from Explo 72. I listened to an interview today, uh, two days ago, with Alistair Begg talking about how he was in Scotland and, and people encouraged him to go and, and go to Explo 72. And one of the students asked me, as we were just standing around talking after we shot the video, one of the SAA students said, why did it stop? And there's only one answer. The church wasn't ready for people that didn't fit their religious mold. They weren't ready for hippies. They weren't ready for converted drug addicts. They weren't ready for people that had been living on the street. They weren't ready for those people, so the church killed it. My church almost killed it in our group. I mean, our, our deacons fought it. You know why the Jesus movement stopped? You know why we don't have revival? You know why thousands of people aren't being saved every week in America? You know why God's not moving? You know why the altar's empty? I will tell you, the church doesn't want to be disturbed. On every church... There's an invisible sign seen by the Holy Spirit. Do not disturb. We are comfortable right where we are. I talked to some folks this morning that were members here and they moved away. They went to visit a church on Sunday morning and the doors were locked. They said, one person talked to us. Listen, folks, you can't reach a world that you don't care that they're going to help. God is moving right now in ways that some of us are not prepared for. There are Bible studies and prayer groups that are springing up on the Albany State campus. And what if God finds in the churches in Darty County such a resistance to the Holy Spirit that he goes to Albany State and starts something that should have been birthed in the church and spread there, but he couldn't get the church 
to do what the church was supposed to do. So he went and found some new believer Christians who just thought God might do something. And I'll tell you, there's something going on on that campus right now. So you better pray because the devil won't like it. There are movements that are going on in this community, and some of us are clueless. You know why? Because our sails are not set to catch the wind of the Spirit. Our sails are set to catch the wind of Georgia and Alabama and Auburn and FSU. Well, put that sail down. Uh, <laughs> you can take your Tennessee one down, too. Uh, I mean, we're set to catch the wind of football. But we are not set to catch the wind of the breath of the Father blowing on His church. The first recorded revival is in Genesis 35. It's the story of Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac. I mean, he was a supplanter. He was a schemer. He lived all his life holding on to his mama's apron. He got away by family politics. He was deaf to what God wanted to do. But there came a point when God said, Jacob, I've had enough of you acting like you're acting. And he took him back to Bethel. In Genesis 28, Jacob had met with God at Bethel. He had the vision of the ladder. He said, surely this is, this is the house of God, Bethel. Surely this is the house of God. In Genesis 33... He ceased to be a pilgrim, and he buys land, and he settles down. He was supposed to be a pilgrim. He was supposed to claim the land, not just claim a home. And God was always working to get Jacob's attention. I identify so much with Jacob because left to myself, I'll just settle down. And I'll have had a great experience. I'll have had a vision of what God wanted to do. I'll have had an encounter and wrestle with God and ask God to bless me. And then I'll move on and go right back to what I used to be doing. Chapter 35 of Genesis in verse 1. By the way, Jacob had settled in Shechem. He's right in enemy territory. Which led to the tragedy of chapter 34, which we won't get into. Genesis 35, 1. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and live there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, verse 2 is the key, Put away the foreign gods which are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had and the rings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak which was near Shechem. First point, cleansing is not an option. Cleansing is not an option. The key is verse 2. You're not going to take these false idols and these symbols of worldliness. You're not going to take this into the house of God. Chapter 34, there's not one reference to God. All it is, there's a story of his daughter being raped, of sin, of ugly incidences, of murder, of deceit, and of wickedness. But when you get to chapter 35, God is mentioned ten times. God says to Jacob, arise and go up. Get up and get going. 
Separate yourself from worldliness. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. And he sent him back to Bethel, where he had seen the vision, where he had wrestled with God. He's bringing him back to the place of that fresh encounter that had grown stale in the heart of Jacob. And he said, make an altar there to God. Now Shechem is about 30 miles from Bethel. Here's what you need to see here. He was in the shadow of surrender, but short of it. He was in the shadow of surrender, but he was short of it. You know, you can be as close to a great move of God as sitting in church on Sunday and be short of getting the blessing. You can be in the atmosphere. You can be within eyesight. You can be within earshot. You can be one day's journey from what God wants to do and fall short of it. But verse 4, they did what they were supposed to do. They gave Jacob all their foreign gods. Now you call this sanctification or the victorious life or full surrender or whatever it is, but, but if we're going to see God work, when God says let go of something, we have to let go of it. We can't argue with him about it. Jacob hid them under the oak. That's an interesting thing. Did you see that they had all these, these gold and these ornaments and these, all this stuff? And Jacob didn't say, you know, let's see if we can sell them on eBay. Make a little money. Let's see if we can collect them and go down to Goodwill and get a donation card. No, he got rid of them. He hid them. He buried them. He said, no more of this. And he buried them under the oak tree. Why? As a sign of sanctification. Purify yourselves. Change your garments. Secondly, God protects the surrendered. God protects the surrendered. Genesis 35, 5, as they journeyed, there was a great terror upon the cities which were around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. Were there, and called the place El Bethel, because their God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. He got God's protection and he got God's provision. Nobody followed him. Why? God put fear in the hearts of the enemy of Jacob when Jacob started to fear God. See, our best defense is a surrendered heart and a visitation from God. Bethel symbolizes reconciliation with God. This is, the, by the way, the fifth altar built by the patriarchs, the house of God. Bethel means the house of God. El Bethel is short for Elohim, the God of the house of God. Now, this is not the house of God. You are the house of God. The Spirit of God dwells in you. But is it El Bethel? Is it the God of the house of God? Is God the God of your house? Is God the God of your heart? 
Is God the God of your family? He, he gets rid of all this stuff, and then he names it El Bethel. Why do we need this moment? Because it's a place of revelation, and it's a place of sacrifice. If you want revelation from God, you've got to have a sacrifice. Revival always involves a revelation from the Word of God, and it always involves an altar. A meeting with God. Thirdly, God is a change agent. God is a change agent. Verse 10, God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. Now this is fascinating to me because when he wrestled with the messenger of God in chapter 32, he called him Israel. He said, I'm going to change your name from Jacob to Israel. Here we are years later, and he's going to tell him again, look, son, I gave you a new name. Now live up to it. Jacob means supplanter or schemer. Israel means a prince with God, one who has power with God and man. He got a new name. What God did in this refresh moment with Jacob was he reminded him of who he was and what he had done and said, Jacob, you better start living up to all that I've done for you. That's a danger. That's a danger. You know, farmers get up early in the morning to get ready. I mean, they get up way before the sun comes up to start getting ready to plow their fields and plant their crops and, and to harvest their fields. And, and some of us would never be good farmers because we're too lazy to get up and do what we're supposed to do. What that means is we get to a point that we're behind on our sanctification because God keeps getting the, hold on a minute, just wait a minute, Lord, I, I'm not ready yet. I, I don't want to do that yet. I still got some living that I want to do. I still got some things I want to do. And we keep putting God off and thinking that God's not going to confront us at some point. But if we are his children, he will confront us. And he wants to give us a new name. Thirty years before, God had given him a new name, but Jacob was still acting like he had an old heart. God keeps reminding him. You see, God orchestrates moments and incidents to get us back to Bethel for a fresh encounter with the Almighty. You know what God wants to do this week and next week? He wants us to have a fresh encounter with the Almighty. I need a fresh encounter. I talked to Tom Elliff yesterday and he told me about an encounter he had with the Lord not long ago. And he'll probably share it one of the services. And, and I mean, I'm sitting there listening to a man in his 70s talking about God showing him things that in all his life he had never seen. You see, folks, if you've got God figured out, you don't worship the God of the Bible. If your God makes you comfortable, not the God of the Word. The God of the Word prunes and he trims because he's trying to get the world out of us so that Jesus can be more evident in us 
so that when the world sees us, they don't see the old Jacob, they see the new Israel in us. How often has God nudged our hearts? What has God told us to bury? Verse 11, he calls him God Almighty, El Shaddai, 48 times in the Old Testament. That name for God is used. God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He's all-sufficient. And in verse 13, God went up from him. God rose. He saw a new manifestation of God. Do you need God to do something new and fresh in your life? Do you need God to speak to you? Has it been so long that you can't remember the last time when you clearly heard God speak to you? I've, I've told you this a hundred thousand times probably. Every time I'd see Manly Beasley, he'd ask me the question, what are you trusting God for today? Today. What are you trusting God for today? See, here's what we normally do. Well, you know, about two years ago, I prayed and I asked God to do something. And he, you know, about 12 years ago, I put down a hymn possible card on this altar and I asked God to do something. And a couple of years later, he did it. What are you trusting him for today? What relative that's lost or in a pig pen have you given up on? What circumstances that you believe God's not big enough to change? What idol is it that you're holding on to that you think, I have to have this? You're like Linus with a security blanket. You know, and I want to tell you, Linus with a security blanket in the Christian faith becomes pig pen. You just got dust all around you. You're just stirring up dust. You, you quit being Linus and you start being pig pen. What is it that God is saying to you? You know, you're a slave to this or this or this or this or this. Well, Lord, I can control it. See, that's our problem. We think we can control it. What are we a slave to? What is it that God wants us to give up? What will it take for us to have a fresh glimpse of God? Ari Tori gave three prescriptions for revival. They still work. Remember, revival begins with a few or one. Number one, let a few Christians get thoroughly right with God. Let a few Christians get thoroughly right with God. Number two, let them bind together in prayer until God opens the heavens and comes down. That's what we're asking you to do this next week. To come individually, come as a family, to come as a connect group. To come and pray, to bind together in prayer until God opens the heavens and comes down. And thirdly, let them put themselves at the disposal of God for him to use as he sees fit in the winning of others to Christ. So, I get right with God. I join with other believers in praying for God to work. And then I ask God to use me as he sees fit. Well, Lord, here's how I'd like you to use me. Uh-uh, uh-uh. 
Ask God to use you as he sees fit. That's releasing yourself to the sovereign hands of a loving God who wants to use you and touch you and change you and strengthen you more than you can even begin to imagine. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I want to ask you to do what we've asked you to do through the years, and that is just to close your eyes and just draw a circle around the seat that you're in. And ask God to speak and to work in your heart. That the Lord, this person inside this circle, may I be thoroughly right with you. Or this person inside this circle, I, I want to join with other people in other circles and, and pray until you come down. And Lord, I, I want to be at your disposal to win others to Christ. Just right where you are. Nobody's singing, nobody's doing anything. Just right where you are. In this moment, just a silent moment between you and God. God's listening. His ears are open. He's listening to the prayer that you're praying right now. But you see, if you're not there and you're his child, at some point he's going to orchestrate circumstances that will get your attention. You don't want to have to wrestle with God because you're going to lose. You know, when Jacob wrestled with God, God knocked his hip out of socket so that every time for the rest of his life Jacob took a step, he remembered. He remembered an encounter with God. What is it that you need to bury under an oak tree? What is it that you need to give up today? What needs to change in this moment? Now, believers, while you're praying and while you're dealing with the Lord, if you're here this morning, as Ken shared a few moments ago, and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, then I want to encourage you to get up from where you are right now and come down and find one of these men and say, Today, I need to trust Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Today, I need to give my life to Jesus. The people around you will let you out. They may be praying, but I promise you, they'll let you out. You just say, Lord, today you need to be saved. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another moment. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. If you need to come to Christ, you come now. Come now. Just get up where you are. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. You can be set free by Jesus Christ.
Father, we need a fresh touch. I know we do this conference every year, but Lord, we need a fresh touch. Everything around us seems to be shaking. This world is shaking. Our community is shaking. Things are happening with people we love that causes us to shake, but you are unshakable. And Lord, as you put the pieces together, as we move toward refresh, as we pray this week, as we seek you, as we come next week expecting to hear from you, God, put us on the solid rock, not on sinking sand. Do a fresh work, a new work. Take us up another rung on the ladder toward Christ-likeness. Change our hearts. Clean our hearts. Revive the church. Save the lost. Lord, may this place be bathed in prayer this week. Covered in prayer by the saints who long to see you do a work. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.